Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights for making money in food. The Edible Alpha podcast is hosted by the Food Finance Institute, where our mission is to help food businesses raise the money they need to grow. Through our podcast, FFI staff talks to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food or farm business. Well, welcome everybody to uh, our Edible Alpha podcast today. Today, we're going to talk with Idella at CTC, um, one of our partners at IBE. And CTC is the Center for Technology Commercialization. Um, sounds like a pretty daunting sort of group. They really aren't, but they do do a lot of stuff with technology and such. You know, technology and food and beverage, there's an ample room for opportunity here. All right. Um, but that doesn't mean CTC only works with technology companies either, though. So I wanted to make sure today when we go through what Idella and I will be sharing with you is it, it give you a really good handle on what CTC also brings to the table from, from IBE. And uh, we have some other work that we're going to talk to you about later on about potentially other resources that we have available to it. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Idella to introduce herself and, and CTC and, and the programs that she, uh, she works with. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so my name is Idella. I am the director of the Wisconsin Center for Technology Commercialization. And we are a program that's housed in IBE, housed within the University of Wisconsin system, but mostly funded by the state of Wisconsin with some funding from the federal government to help us provide some outreach, training, and really be a one-stop resource for access to federal funding through a program called the Small Business Innovation Research Funds, which I can get into that. We are mostly scientists and have an opportunity to deal with technologists and work with technologists, helping them move forward a commercialization plan. And like I said, access this funding. And I guess one thing I feel it's important to say is that I think technology has a weird connotation. I think most times people think of that as just research or university research. Sometimes uh, it's access to technology that I classify as like deep technology. So really rich, like data science, really rich AI or machine learning types of technologies. But that's not all that we deal with. I think our better name could have been like an innovation program or the Center for Innovation. But even that has weird connotations because mostly what we're trying to do is work with inventors that have a new and novel approach to doing something to address a real critical problem. And sometimes that is a very fancy piece of technology, but sometimes it's a very well thought out um, solution. So one of my favorite examples in the ag space is working with a, a company that wanted to find a better way to, to farm uh, walleye, because I guess walleye are cannibalistic. And so they wanted to find a better way of doing that. So really it's, you know, it was the, the technology of being able to farm those fish and to, and to meet all the objectives that they wanted to do and, and go after some funding to prove out that process. We've also had companies that had better ways of taking kind of waste wood products and turn that into better building material. And so, you know, that was research, but really to a particular kind of research for the outcome that they wanted. So I want to just always lay out that sometimes you might not think that what you're doing could use technology or could be innovation or could require some research. But um, part of my job and my team's job is to see um, if there are those opportunities and how might we help you go after some federal funding to do that. In addition to that main area we have some levers at our disposal to help you get at that. And one of the levers that we have is a program called Idea Advance, which is a program funded by uh, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, WEDC, uh, in collaboration with UW System. It's um, a seed fund that we've been managing for the past eight or so years. And the companies that come in there are funded to, to assess their business model, and they do so through a lean startup process. Not all those companies are, most of them are actually not deep technologies. Um, and what we do focus on is how they understand the process of testing their business model and giving them some new tools on what experimentation looks like when they're testing their business model. And so that's a lot of the ways that um, I've had a chance to interact with FFI is through the Idea Advance program. I appreciate that. I the one thing we do at FFI is, you know, we have 
three core products, right? That I that I think about, anyways, especially for startup companies. And one is, you know, our boot camp, which is so you're thinking about starting a business, boarded immersive training on everything you need to know, sort of information by fire hose to uh, assess your business, you know, develop a business model and a plan that you, in the, in the end of that program, we actually have to have you do an investor pitch to see how much you really know about your your business plan. And it's sort of like in the three to four days, you really have a grounding of what you need to know to, to develop a business model. In that area, we do a lot of work. There's a, that's where there's a fair amount of overlap in what we do is that you're, um, we're using the business, lean business model canvas, very similar to process and template that as yours. Um, Ours is, this is only a four day, that's only a four day immersion class. So unlike yours, which are more, I think, what, 12 weeks you said, or 12 to 14, something like that year? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so ours sort of gets you, it's sort of the teaser on what you need to, to do to get it done. Um, you know, the one thing I, I like about the idea advanced uh, template that, that, that you're working with is that it gets you into that rigor of really understanding, you know, the consumer need, the value proposition, the path to market. Um, you know, you do a lot of rigor in that probably for the most part, I think most of your companies that, you know, that I've, you and I've talked about are, are, are either pre-revenue or just really, you know, you know, very, very early stage. And, and that's good when they do it at that point, because, um, frankly, when you get sort of get lucky, you get started, get lucky, you do something, um, you get things ingrained in, in you that may be wrong. All right. Um, that you have to validate. And that's, I think what you're doing with your testing models is that, you know, test out some of your hypotheses about your business proposition um, before you get going too deeply into it. Because honestly, you know, like I say, you can spend a lot of money um, going down some, some I'm going to say less than advantage, uh, less than beneficial paths um, if you don't think it through a little bit first. You know, there's a little bit of an overlap, which I like, um, and, and, and there's different reasons for that. I mean, as it's, usually our companies are in business. They've been doing, they've been doing work like locally from their shared use kitchen, maybe even their own home, um, farmers markets and what have you. So they've, they end up evolving either from that into some early stage company. And I decided to do a, what I would call our boot camp process is our continuum of care that we work with people on is I have a fellows program I work with, which is now you're in business, um, but you really want to figure out how to scale efficiently and is, uh, and as fast as you want, as you as you think you want to as a company to grow it. Um, that's a much more comprehensive planning, minimally six months of work with the, the groups that I work with, getting them to the point where they have business plans, financial models, um, and, and basically are able to pitch their business so that they can get suppliers, investors to and bankers to work with them to grow their business. And then we also have a raising equity piece of it. If you need to raise large amounts of equity, you know, how to really do the, that, I'm going to say that final level of lifting of your financial models and plans in order to be able to attract capital investors. Um, so, you know, that's what we do. In my mind, the ideal model would be, boy, I would love people to either go through a boot camp before they get to the fellows program, especially if there's a more of technology slant to it, or maybe there is a technology solution to it. They definitely should be considering idea advance and or some of the, you know, the ultimate SBIR type of programming that you guys have for more deeper technology platforms. Adela, why don't we, why don't you also talk about after idea advance, if let's say somebody had a technology platform, let's remind you, make sure the audience knows a little bit about SBIR and some of the programming you, you guys, you guys support in that vein too. Sure. Let me lead by saying that over the years, I think I've developed a, a personal mantra that comes through in the way that I like to do coaching for both SBIR and Idea Advance. And I'll get into what SBIR is here in a second. But what I want to just put a little roof on this portion of the conversation here, I guess, right. is that when uh, folks are going through programs and seeking out coaches and support, they're often getting inundated with the tactical of how to do their business. And this often is, you know, they may be coming from a perspective of, well, I don't have an MBA, uh, I don't have a lot of business training, so this is to fill those holes so I can tactically understand how to do that. And there's a lot of um, importance, I think, on that. And folks like the SBDC and folks like FFI really have the deep core expertise in the industries to bring those kinds of tactical 
um, training to the table. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think, while we do have tactical capabilities, one of the things I think are important in the way we do our work is to make sure people bring the um, their own human, their own team capabilities to the table. Because when you have two products that are head to head that look very similar, then the differentiator is often the team and the team's capabilities, not just to execute, but to to pivot, to strategize and to work forward. And that's what I spend a lot of my time in Idea Advance recently is helping people find what that intersection is of what the customer wants, what they can provide, and um, what their unique capabilities are and kind of build a process and a strategy around that. And I bring all that back because, so let, let, let me tell you about SBIRs and I'll tell you why I gave that little bit of an introduction there. And that's because the Small Business Innovation Research Program is a multi-agency program. There are 11 participating agencies that range from things like USDA to National Science Foundation to National Institutes of Health. I mentioned those three things because all three of them would have an interest in food, uh, food-related solutions in some capacity, but each agency is like its own customer. So you really have to understand what that customer is. But what mm -hmm. they do on this is, is often the small business innovation research funds are grants. And small businesses are going after grants. And most people aren't used to writing grants. <laughs> but the thing about grants are that you get to propose what you want to do. And it's often based on, yes, the norm for kind of how to, you know, vet and assess feasibility for that space. But it's often based on what your team's capabilities are. So you might have two very similar products. But again, teams make that grant look different and the reviewers think about it differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think I bring that to that coaching philosophy because you um, there's there's not always one right way to to do your grant. Mm -hmm. And I think people have to get comfortable with that. Take all the tactical things and then make sure you think very clearly about how your team's capabilities are to execute on that. So let me just spend a few minutes about this because I think the SBIR program is really important for your listeners and it's something that small businesses should think about accessing. The Small Business Innovation Research Program and there's a sister program called the Small Business Technology Transfer Program. We don't need to get into the nuances there, but basically it's a $4.3 billion program across 11 agencies. Each agency has their own deadline, way of funding, grants versus contracts, types of things that they want to fund. So we are a resource for our state, and there are definitely others like us across the country that will help companies be able to access this. These monies are um, non-dilutive funding to the business. The money is mostly there to fund the technology or the process that you're researching. Most of the times, I'm going to say most of the times, <laughs> because... Mm -hmm. In the name, it is Small Business Innovation Research. So you are presenting a type of research plan as part of this, but what each agency defines as research is very different. <laughs> so, for example, the USDA has uh, several areas, I think uh, 11 areas that they fund, but one of the areas is like rural, rural farming, rural something yeah. like that. And research on that could be, different marketing plans, uh, different ways for rural farmers or farmers in rural areas to connect with, you know, this, this product or this process. So I'm trying to bring that up to say that there may be some opportunities, oh, different crops, testing different crops. So there may, you know, there may be opportunities where it's not just about the technology or mm -hmm. use of a technology. A lot of times agencies are interested in how do we make more effective program or a process or something that might work in an urban area and try and make that work in a, in a rural area with all of you know whatever challenges that might exist and we will give you somewhere between each agency is different but usually it's between 75 to like $300,000 for a phase 1 and somewhere between um 250, 300,000 up to a million plus for phase two. 
um, to to go after working through the the technology or the process risk, not the business model risk, but those risks. Mm-hmm. And the, it's through, uh, you know, I just mentioned that because I think it's really, it's a good opportunity, I think, for companies to say, okay, I have maybe a new food product uh, or I have a new, a way that I'd like to use food in a core mm-hmm. ingredient in a new food product. That might mean a different manufacturing process. The SBIR program might be a way to fund your research in that space. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. You just, on the SBIR, I mean, especially those grant funds, I mean, access to them. I mean, obviously you have to write a grant, so you have to be good at that. So you guys, you have people that can help on that. But then yeah, I'm going to tie it back to, um, you know, CTC and the ID advanced portion of this. ID advanced would be more on how to basically optimize that business model and, and you know, the core assumptions into your business model that would lead, could lead you to an SBIR larger grant fund, correct? Yeah, that's the way I like to do it. It's not yep. always the way that it happens. But I, <laughs> to do it. I come from corporate America, so Oscar Mayer, Sargentos of the world and such. And, you know, I didn't know resources like this existed, honestly. Um, and, and you know, now that I'm in it, I'm like, oh, my God, they're all over the place. But, you know, how to find them now, all right, and how to really access them properly. What I like to, the audience to hear is that, there, one, there are always go looking for some, you know, resource. It's almost always out there. CTC, um, you know, is a great place to go. IBE as a whole, our, our whole our whole office um, has got just a, a wealth of, of resources available to you. And the best thing you can do is ask questions and come to us sooner than later. All right. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and the thing that I would like to emphasize is that if you have a business, early stage business idea, you definitely want to talk to us. If it's in food and beverage space, we've got some things to offer, is that, like say our boot camps. They're immersive and they're they're sort of a short little stint. And they're probably not a bad thing to do because it helps frame your mind about what you need to think about for building your business. Um, and maybe the next logical step would be to go after an idea advanced type of program. And then that way you can do a lot more rigor on the front end of your of your business model thinking um, on, you know, who's the target consumer, what's the pathway to market, how to best position your product and brand, you know, and brand in that market space so that your product or your service or your solution has the best chance for success. And then that leads you to the next level of thinking, which, you know, whether it be an SBI or grant with for a heavy, heavy lifting type of research plant program, or if it's more of roll up your sleeves and, and do something on the fellows program where we would work with you on, okay, let's talk about some of those business tactics that you, you've got to get good at in order to be able to effectively scale and grow your business. I'm thinking out loud a little bit here with you, Idella. Is that, is that consistent with your train of thought, just to make sure? Yeah, I mean, let me back up and say first, yes, there are definitely lots of resources. And it's a real challenge because I think what these resources are coming from um, government-funded entities like ourselves. I think we all are individuals that want to see the best for our companies, but we don't always have the biggest marketing budgets so to get our names out in front of you. And so mm-hmm. helping us help help outreach to you is really helpful. You know, letting us know what are the best ways to reach you uh, is maybe a different way should people say, I've never heard of you. Um, we could always be looking at different ways to improve our outreach tactics. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing too is that um, yeah, I think that pathway is there. People do like paths, I understand. And so, yes, if they went through the boot camp and then they went into a program like Idea Advance and then uh, moved on into the fellows program, they would definitely get deeper insights on, you know, what does it look like to get started? Maybe that's the boot camp. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to uh, think about and develop some skills in assessing risks yeah. so that you can assess the strategy and, and not be so execution minded? And then the fellows program would be how might I think about execution or evaluation um, tactics so that as I'm doing my experimentation, I really robustly can measure it up to something that's going to tell me a go, no go or pivot decision around my business model so that I'm not wasting a lot of money and time. And hopefully in all of those things, people become a little bit more dispassionate. Eh, Maybe I don't want people to be dispassionate about (laughs) ideas, but you know, maybe you become a little bit more disciplined about focusing on the customer and focusing on the market and being really intently focused on being a problem solver or offering uh, a gain and less focused on yourself and less focused on what you think uh, needs to be done. And I think when you can go through all of those programs or go through something similar like that, 
um, you may find a nice balance between this is what we want to do and these are what our unique capabilities are. And this is what excites us as a team to keep doing this hard stuff and what the customers really want, what they would like to see and, and how might they really continue to want to buy and work with us. Yeah. And I'm going to build a little off of, you know, you mentioned teams and, and disciplines and whatnot. A lot of what I do at FFI and, and especially in the fellows program is I have a, I have one, a one pager that is sort of like, you know, I've got, I would say most of my business is put up on the wall. It's basically maximizing your business potential or profitability or valuation, however you want to put it, but it's sort of how to maximize your business. Right. And it's a Venn diagram. And, and I, I bring it up to people, especially as startups, you come with your set of skills, which usually is not, you know, like I've been doing this for about, I used to, I used to say 35 years. So my goal is to help you get through it in three to five years. Thing is, is that on my Venn diagram, you got sales, marketing, operations. Um, they all have to work in unison to deliver against the business goals and objectives. And um, if you do that right, you maximize your profitability. You know, so what you have to do is you have to make sure you understand what's the role of sales, what's the role of marketing, what's the role. Of, even though you're doing all these things, when you put your sales VP hat, hat on, you have to think like a sales person and a good one, not, not just one that gives it away, um, you know, and, you know, and the branding and marketing is knowing the consumer, knowing the customer. Um, knowing the category, knowing you know, your, 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 the, basically your margin structure that you, you're going to have to navigate against as a business. Um, operations is about cost control, you know, be, being able to make the best product at the lowest cost within food safety guidelines. Um, and so we do, a, I do a fair amount of, of that with, with the companies I work with. The thing I like about it is more of the, the design of experiments um, thought process that you bring into it. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's a rigor that, I usually inherit companies, you know, past, um, you know, I would say idea advanced phase. They're, they're in business, right? Now, the problem is they haven't probably validated all their hypotheses yet. Um, and I think maybe a little bit of that thought structure that you work with them in an idea advanced phase on how to, to uh, really go through a, the rigor of business models and, and business potential that, you know, you do with idea advance and how to get that set up. And a little bit of the process of, of I'd say, you know, the, the design of experiments or, the, you know, testing of things. Yeah, I would say this is definitely something that is a skill that's that's um, developed over time. Um, I have I feel I've had the great fortune of, of being trained as a scientist. And you would think that as a trained scientist, this would be something that we all scientists do naturally. But that's <laughs> not true. And I think one core understanding. So first off, we really focus on the lean startup method to help people get at those assumption testings. And essentially, it's just a scientific method, right? You have a hypothesis, you um, de- develop a, an experiment, you run the experiment, and then you iterate. It's really not much more complicated, but really figuring out what that assumption is and doing it in a disciplined way, figuring out what that experiment might be and doing that in a disciplined way really are are the, the barriers that help uh, or, or may prevent people from getting a good outcomes. And so that's a lot of what we spend our time doing is helping you develop those assumptions and to and develop a toolbox of experiments that you can use in an industry, a market agnostic way. So we have to work in collaboration or CTC Idea Advance has to work in collaboration with um, industry experts like FFI to really get and help make make it clear the variety of tools that could be in their experimental toolbox. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes to bridge the language gap. Um, not everybody speaks Idella, so it's really, <laughs> it's really helpful to have some different things. So, you know, what we do in Idea Advance and in the process, if you've done any lean startup, I don't think it's any different. You know, it's customer discovery. But one thing that I emphasize is that customer discovery is is listening. I think a lot of times lean startup is framed as customer discovery and then that's it. No. Customer discovery is two part. It's it's listening, which is the discovery and it's and it's validation, which is running some kind of an experiment or sprint or a minimum viable product launch. You pick your poison, name the name, it doesn't matter, um, but it's it, the intention of the experiment is to really assess something about human behavior that impacts an element of your business model. And hopefully it impacts, you can get some evaluation on something around the costs or the revenue or the value proposition, usually is where we focus on idea advance. 
And in my in my process, I'm learning if there's other ways to find some efficiencies in this. But um, usually the cycle for companies are they go out and do their customer discovery. And customer discovery is really hard because, again, it starts with a really well-stated assumption. I wish I had a, like an image in front of me because it's one of those things that I like. I know it when I see it. And unless I have my PowerPoint slide in front of me, I can't give people a really great um, assumption. But it's usually somebody is doing a thing. Uh, or, or a name a group of person, name a person uh, that is doing a thing, uh, and hopefully that thing is quantifiable, and and they're doing this thing for what benefit or what gain, and so it's really like a, a three part process. Do do we all agree on the who? Do we all agree on the what? And do we all agree on the why? And what I think does that match up with what my customers think or what the market thinks? And that's half the battle, getting that discipline and going out and asking good open-ended questions. Oftentimes it's around three questions. Tell me a little bit about how this is done. Tell me a little bit about why this is done. And tell me a little bit about when was the last time this thing went wrong and what did you do to fix it? It, It's really not, you don't have to have an interrogation interview (laughs) process. It's just two or three questions. And I often say, get to know people. This is fun for me because I kind of like storytelling. And so if I ask some questions and people tell me a story, I I love to hear the story about why people do a thing and they love to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that process, hopefully people are getting disciplined to say, because of my assumption, I've already identified some keywords or key phrases that I'm listening for. But in my questioning, I didn't telegraph any of those keywords or key phrases. I just am asking a question and I'm tallying how many times they may have heard something around that keyword or cue phrase. Mm-hmm. And then the next iteration is then is, is testing that behavior. I think I heard this thing. I think people said that. I feel pretty confident. Well, now how can I test that? How can I run a, a mini campaign or a mini sprint? How can I use a focus group in a really disciplined way? And how might I then um, assess what looks good or what does success look like against something that matters to my business model? And I think that's the other key barrier. Sometimes people are just running the experiment for idea advance. They're running the experiment to try and get it out of the way so that they can get their next tranche of money. But, <laughs> but I, I, I think for a lot of companies that they are so passionate about that they will put themselves at risk. So I often um, in this, in this case, for example, I will, and if they can be a revenue earning company pretty soon. So if you don't have any restrictions or certifications or regulations to kind of go through, Oftentimes I'm challenging, set a benchmark that's going to help you say, can I pay myself? Can I pay a key member of my staff? Can I buy something? Because mm-hmm. that those those resources are the barriers for growth and scalability. So it's, it's not that complicated, but people need, sometimes they need a coach if they've never done it before to figure out what that assumption is, figure out what the tools in the toolbox are. And mm-hmm. if you're looking for a variety of tools to, on experiments, you can Google, you know, Sprint, sprint in pick up industry vertical or you can there's so many you know website resources for people doing minimum viable experiments so many uh, new tools like quick landing pages and a b testing uh, resources so there's a lot of stuff that's out there um, but leverage a coach and there's so many of us out there you don't have to pay often a lot of money to try and help customize what that might look like for you mm-hmm. i think i went on a tangent but did we well, that's get good, though. No, that's good. No, no, that's, that's not, not, not necessarily tangible. It gives me some things to think about. That's what good questions do. Um, and, and, I mean, and, and good feedback gets to how can we work better together? Um, because, you know, as I said, what I like about the idea advanced model, I've done this as an example, um, a company, this is, I won't be giving out any names, but it's just, you know, they, they had this idea. They wanted to 3D print food, all right? And, uh, and so they, you know, it was a, obviously there was a technology play, but then obviously the product is food, the end product is food. Um, and they wanted to understand, you know, how to best take that to market. And uh, so I was part of, it was an NSF program in Milwaukee that I was working through and I was, mm-hmm. I was the mentor. And it was just, I really liked, you know, to your point, it, it, you know, and I'm guilty of this too, because I, I grew up in corporate America. We would, we would design experiments like you wouldn't believe. 
right? Um, so when I hear design of experiment, my first thought is, is, is oh my God, I don't want to do that. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate doing that in corporate America. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but it's really good if done right. And, 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 and also done is more simplistic on the very front end, like you yeah. just described, because you just sort of don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And that was sort of like in corporate America, we knew a lot about our category and our consumers. So we were trying to, we weren't trying to force fit it, but we were trying to find that white space and we were being aggressive about it. Right. And, and, and ultimately, like I say, I think the simplicity of, uh, like in the case that we were talking about 3d, 3d printed food, they had, they'd sort of decide, okay, they were done enough thinking that, okay, we're going to make food that is good for aphasia patients, you know, people that have mm-hmm. had strokes and such and can't swallow very well. They have a very big unmet need, you know, because the product doesn't, um, you know, that you can't break down, you know, natural food. So pe- most people are drink- eating food out of a straw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's horrible. And, and they hate it. That was their sort of general hypothesis. That was going to be the market that was going to have the best opportunity for them. And so they started doing their interviews and their interviews. Once again, they didn't go talking about aphasias and pro- about their product. They talked to different stakeholders along this, the, the chain of, of, of that of that thought process. So they did talk to patients. They talked to doctors. They talked to dietitians. They talked to uh, distributors. They talked to, you know, different groups of people, you know, and, and it was interesting by, so what do you do when you have a situation like this, you know, and you hear about what, and then they would ask some nice open-ended questions and they were getting some really good feedback. It was interesting when it was all said and done that while there's a huge unmet need there, the path to market ended up being horrible. Isn't because that funny? Yeah. 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 Because, because who controls the diet of, of that person? Yeah. Is it the doctor? Is it the dietitian? Is it the nursing home? Is it, the, you know, and it was just like, oh my God, you got to, you know, when it was all said and done, we came up with a, the solution was, he's like, let's pivot, right? And, and target elite, elite athletes, because we know that when in talking to these distributors, we found out that they have a whole line of products for elite athletes, right? And could we customize food for elite athletes? Yes, we could do that with 3D printing food. Isn't you know? that interesting? Just if you let me interrupt, because I think that it illustrates that first you have to be open to a pivot and you have to be willing to hear what people are actually telling you about the world that they work in. And they're not mm-hmm. telling you that your idea is bad or yeah. that the problem isn't there, but they're saying that the the path for a solution in that space might have to look different. Oh yeah. The pivot I'm- is really an eye opener. People are open for that pivot. I mean, sometimes it's about getting entry into kind of an adjacent market and proving out a process and proving out some credibility and reliability. And then you can then pivot into the more impact market that you might be looking for. So um, yeah, really being open to hearing what people are saying. Yeah. Well, that's the big thing too, is like don't force fit the solution. And, and mm-hmm. often I, you know, what I end up with a lot of companies, they are, since they're already in market, they're already sort of committed, like, Oh my God, we've got to make this work. And I'm like, well, sometimes you have to make this work. I use an example, um, you know, as an idea, you know, I, everybody knows Lunchables. All right. So back in the day though, I was at Oscar Meyer when it was actually called snackables it was a red package. It wasn't a yellow package. And, and it was had a, every snack occasion in the world it could address because it was snackables, right? Um, and so it was a very well thought through product. Um, and it had a lot of occasions that it could attack. And it just wasn't quite meeting the mark, right, for Oscar Meyer at the time. And their, their business team said, okay, it wasn't working. And we don't, we don't want to capitalize, you know, big uh, lines for this because we don't think it's going to make it. So either you get in the black or you don't come back. All right. Um, so they literally had it in the market for a year or so. Um, and they, they, they pivoted. Um, they said, okay, let's target this thing. Let's, let's go after a smaller target. Let's go after lunches. They found out that, you know, there's a big, you know, big uh, unmet opportunity for kids. What's the trade value for something at lunch? Um, if you have something really good, that's, you know, one, it makes you feel good. And two, you get a lot for it. Lunchable was sort of the solution for that. And, and so, you know, a snackable had a napkin in it. It looked like a Lunchable, but it had really good meat, really good cheese, really good crackers, a napkin, a Dijon mustard pack or some, whatever the right kind of condiment pack. Um, and it was like, it was very expensive and it, it wasn't really driving the volume that they expected. Whereas Lunchable, they got rid of the napkin because the kid will never use the napkin. The mustard would just be squirted all over somebody's face probably. And, and, and then they went to like mild cheddar or American processed cheese, water added ham, a Ritz cracker, you know, with the first versions of Lunchables. 
And, and my God, it took off. Obviously it's, it's the multi-billion dollar category that it is today. And they pretty much own like 80%, 90% of it. Um, so it just goes to show you that, you know, you try at first you try to, you know, you want to make that assumption. They did a lot of research to get to snackables. It wasn't executable when it was all said and done. It was just too broad of a topic. So they went in narrower and they got a bigger business actually when it was said and done. You know, what's great about that story. I think for entrepreneurs is you may hear that. The first thing I hope you hear is that first, not a, a big businesses get this wrong too. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then the second thing you should know is that you're not a big business. So if you get it wrong, you can tank a lot of things. I've had a lot of people do things I wish people hadn't taken out a second mortgage on their home mm-hmm. or other things like that. You, you know, you're not Oscar Mayer. You can't absorb the financial risk in that same way. And yeah. the other thing too, that I think is interesting, Oscar Mayer, they know their, they know their margins. They know yeah. their distribution channel. They know the cost of getting things out. They, uh, they have a, a, a machine of market researchers they can assess product market fit. They understand that. Um, they've been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, a startup, have not. Yeah. So the responsibility of being disciplined in that process is so much more than at an Oscar Mayer. And know that even Oscar Mayer gets it wrong. Yeah. You're definitely going to get it wrong. So be very disciplined. One of the things about that discipline process is that as a scientist, when you form a hypothesis, a hypothesis, you should go in to try and invalidate your business model or your, or your mm-hmm. hypothesis. You shouldn't be going out to try and validate or prove it. And mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of the challenge. I mean, we all do that. Even scientists are doing that, mm-hmm. right? So yep. you form an experiment to validate what you think you already know. And, mm-hmm. and the, Again, the Oscar Mayer brings up that how bad that attitude, that approach is. You should be designing your experiments. You should be designing your uh, assumptions with the idea of trying to invalidate that because the risks are so big if you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And but the the value of a lean startup process or a sprint process is that you can chunk up your whole entire execution strategy. Chunk mm-hmm. it up into little sprints and see if it works. Mm-hmm. And in that process, one, you get to know so many new people and so many new things about the way that the, you know, the ecosystem works. You might find new opportunities if you're really listening well to pivot and identify a new problem or a new way people are communicating the problem or the opportunity, which already sets you ahead of others that might be entering into the same space. And you can figure out ways to kind of test and de-risk that and figure out what your team's appetite is for that risk so that you can, again, try and walk back a little bit from the final version or vision of what you guys are able to do. And then I'll say my other side thing. I don't know if this is important, but I, you know, I... I think a lot of times we train our entrepreneurs to go on that path. You're going to go to this, this, and then you're going to be investable. But not every company needs to be investable. So hopefully that lean startup process of really being focused on sprint driven execution paths help you to define what does success mean for me. And maybe success doesn't mean being investable, or maybe it doesn't mean growing in a particular way or at a particular time. Mm-hmm. And they can chart that for themselves. We had a company in common where they were really, um, they, they had done FFI programming and, and idea advance, and they were struggling with figuring out what that investable you know, path looked like. And part mm-hmm. of that was because taking investments m- may have moved them away from, from what they felt was their core mission. Mm-hmm. And they got to think through that and make a different decision for themselves. So, I, well, and, and that's one of the things I do in my business model canvas that I have when I work with companies is I, I take the lean business model canvas, uh, the one that I, I sort of inherited with FFI. That if you type in lean business model canvas, there's two versions. If you go on the Internet thing called Google, um, one of them looks more like early stage companies that what's the problem solution uh, value proposition, you know, the, the you know, more of the target consumer attitudes and whatever, and an unfair advantage type of approach. Then there's another one that has pretty much that on the same on the right hand side of it, but the left hand side is all action oriented. It's about how we're going to actually deliver that plan over over a time horizon. They're both valuable. I think the one, the first one is valuable for earlier stage companies because yeah. they really should understand why they're doing this. Yeah. Um, um, and then the second one is, okay, now that I know that I think it's got a big business potential, um, how am I going to actually execute that? 
right? People are advocating for use of the lean canvas when you're really early on and then mm -hmm. switching to the business model canvas, which yep. has kind of the operation stuff when you're when, yep. when you've really gotten that problem solution work through. Yeah. Then there's there's so many canvases now. Yeah, I know, I know. That's, I got into this world and somebody told me that's all you ever need. I'm like, that's not true. You need more than that. <laughs> yeah, there's so many canvases. I'll just mention the mission model canvas because I think sometimes again bringing your own perspective and your capabilities, there are definitely folks who have a very mission-driven idea of how they run want to run their business. And perhaps mm -hmm. the mission model canvas is more aligned with your values. It has the yeah. same kind of rigor and elements to, to assess risk, but does so from a different mindset. Mm -hmm. That's good. I get the full range of companies too. Some of them like say, no, this is taking me way too far. We do focus a lot more. We're the finance institute, right? So we're about yeah. how do you, you know, get money? Um, and investors is one of the big chunks of it. You know, banks and investors. The, the number one reason why I tell people that they should have a business plan. If you're ever thinking about putting a mortgage on your house or whatever, mm -hmm. you're the number one investor, right? Mm -hmm. You better have a plan. You need that house. You don't. And then if you talk about friends and family, the reality is, is that you don't want to be that odd person out at Christmas time because you took their money and you didn't do good things with it. You know, and then if you get to bankers and investors, you better have a plan or they're not going to even talk to you. That's sort of our myopic focus is making sure that you sort of have a plan. And, and the number one investor is you. If you're serious about building a business, you, you better have that. I mean, and I've seen people build very big businesses without very much for planning. Business is razor's edge. And almost went broke a few times. And a lot of them do go broke. In fact, I don't know the exact number, but the reality is, is that if you check on new products, new business startups, it's what, 75% do, you know, don't survive the first three to five years. The one thing I know on my fellows program, that number is more like 80 to 90% are in business three to five years later. And, and the reason that I really put it towards is that we really make sure you focus on how, build, how to build and grow a business. I doubt it to your point. And, there's a lot of tactics involved. There's strategy, big big strategy sort of layout, but then the tactical execution. Once you get the money, you better spend it right. Because honestly, getting more money later, if you don't spend mm. it right, you will not get another, you probably won't get another bite at the apple if, if that happens. Yeah. And if you do get money, know that it needs to go towards a very specific purpose. That purpose should have an assessment of strategy behind that. Because we get wrapped up in like, it takes a lot of work to raise money. It takes a <laughs> lot of work to go out. And I, you know, that that is overwhelming. And I can appreciate once you get somebody to give you a chunk of change, you're, you're oh, thank God. Yeah. But then you have to go back out on the circuit. If you're going to do all of that, you might as well have some, you know, some foundation, some background, something, you know, on the whiteboard here around this doesn't work here. This is what we're going to try next. Yep. I, I like to pre-plan my pivots. <laughs> um, you know, I, I learned that through my engineering days. I always have a back door just in case this doesn't work. But I know we do that at FFI. We do offer up a, a program called scenario planning, which is sort of like I just sort of call it managing chaos. Uh, or, you know, pre-planning your pivots. I mean, you know, the world, the market is changing around you all the time. How do you navigate that as a business? The first way to do it is to actually have a plan. And the second way to do it is understand what are the key business drivers you're working against and then which ones are predefined. You know, so I'm going to say banks and interest rates and SBA loans are pretty much predefined. You sort of know what you're going to, what, how to navigate that. And it's going to, if it's, if you need bank money, that will be in every one of your scenarios moving forward. Um, the ones that are critical but are undefined, you know, like maybe equity capital, you know, you don't know who it's going to be or the one, the right one to be. So you, it could be this group. It could be that group. It could be, you know, or whatever. You Then you have to say, well, if I can get that equity, you know, you, you start creating a scenario if you, if you get the right equity capital or if you get more of the last resort equity capital, you know, how does that affect your business plan? Um, and you start at least laying out if you have a vision of where you're first starting at and you start looking at these at these critical drivers of your business allows you to be able to create a future world that's good or bad. And then what do you do? If you think about what I just said and what we've just been talking about, all of them come back to a plan and the rigor of developing it. And then, and then the next phase I say is executing it with, you know, with measures in place um, and hopefully lead indicator measures in place, you know, mm. so that you can, you can, you can sort of predict some things that, is my future happening or not? <laughs> you know, some of that's easier said than done when it's, but the reality is, is if you don't have a plan, then you feel like a paintball. Yeah, that's for sure. You definitely need to have some anchor. We, we, we talk about that as in 
inflection points. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I want to be careful with the word plan because it feels like it's, it's, it, it is, that is where we're going. I have a plan and I'm definitely <laughs> a person like that. I have a plan. We're going to do it this way. But I think instead we have uh, critical inflection points yeah. and those, and what, what's the, what, what are some strategies to get to those inflection points? And then what can we test Mm -hmm. uh, to form a plan to get to those critical inflection points. And I think for many people, the, those benchmark activities can be set, especially mm -hmm. if you're kind of on a particular kind of financing path. If you're going to be investable, you're going to have to look a certain way to be investable. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go get a loan from a bank, you have to have some certain things in place to get a loan in bank. So taking the finance route as a way to create those uh, guardrails is really helpful. But mm -hmm. Being disciplined with testing is something I really advocate for and use that to help make a plan, but let that plan be a plan A and a plan B and a plan yeah. C. So, Well, I think just, the, I think what you, what you bring up and like I say, I'm, you know, the engineer me, I sometimes I forget I'm an engineer. I, I learned a lot of disciplines in engineering on how to manage businesses and projects and stuff and scope schedule costs. And I can, I can adapt that to about anything I do. That process allows me to do something. The sort of the design of the experiments, the hypothesis, the testing, the the iterating, um, that discipline that you're talking about is is something that can be applied over and over and over again. Once you're in business, you know you're going after a new segment of market, so you don't know it as much as you know your current segment. So you probably should start, you know, doing the same process you did as a startup for that area, and make sure that you you iterate around it so that you when you're done, you've got the best positioning, the best product and an execution plan, you know, to, to, to penetrate that market. But you have to develop that discipline. And I think that's the thing I like. To, I'd like to hear about what you're doing, you know, with Idea Advance, that if more businesses could get that rigor sort of built into the way they think and the way they act. Um, I know I do the same. I do a similar thing with, with mine and the fellows programs. I really want them to think about a three-year time horizon because frankly, what they're doing as an early stage company most people really don't want to be around that. They want to be around the bigger company. Yeah. Um, and so if they can buy into your vision of where you're going, they will do, they'll bend over backwards to help you get there. Yeah. 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 Half the communication is that storytelling of where you're going to go. Yeah. And you have to be able to convince them. Yeah. You know, part of customer discovery too is about con of convincing stories. So a lot of what we do in Idea Advance is part of the training in Idea Advance is definitely customer discovery and the experiments. But wrapped in that is that they have a, a biweekly presentation, Th those little mini sprints to take what you've mm -hmm. learned and then synthesize that learning. That synthesis is probably the biggest challenge for mm -hmm. people. Synthesis means that you have to step outside yourself. You have to have somebody that's objective or you have to become objective about what you think you're hearing so that you can identify the right and new opportunities that are coming from your discovery or to be able to put that down into the form of a pro forma or some kind of ecosystem diagram or some imagery, I really advocate and we require an idea advance that your synthesis is done in the format of some kind of image, a table, a figure or something. I don't want a bunch of words and bullet points on the slide. I don't want to do that. And definitely don't read for me because I will cut you off. That <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very disciplined in that. And and I think for everybody, I, you know, idea advance is a program, but I think people have the chance to do that on their own. And it really just means finding somebody objective, mm -hmm. doing interviews, writing stuff down. Don't just have it in your head. You <laughs> yeah. got to write it down and you have to synthesize it, which means you have to write down. There is a learning process yes. that happens when you put it from your head onto a piece of paper and then teach it, right? So then you have to take that next step of taking those bullet points and putting it into an image so that you can teach somebody else. Those are the steps towards the storytelling you often have to have when you're going to talk to investors. So in my mind, not this, it feels like a lot of work because it is a lot of work when you're new to the process. Mm -hmm. But once you've been doing it for a while, then it feels like, okay, it's just part of the thing. I mm -hmm. recently had to, was putting forward a grant and I had to do this myself. Uh, where I started was not where I ended. But I think the thing that worked well in our process was being very disciplined about taking every bit of word that I thought I was going to say to people and turning that into an image. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm a horrible artist, 
And I will say I had to lean on a friend to help me and use tools mm-hmm. like Canva to help you kind of create that imagery. But I tra- tried to take every thought that I wanted to communicate and put it into an image so that I could teach somebody else. And and in that process, that became the validation because I showed mm-hmm. somebody a thing and they said, oh, that's not what we do. That's not going to matter to me. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And then I could go back and turn that into a, a, a learning conversation. So it's definitely a an iterative process mm. and teaching and synthesizing have to be a core component. Yeah. I used, I taught one year at, at, at Moraine park up in Fond du Lac and, and then I got my master's at MSOE. And I, one of my best classes I had was uh, in MSOE where the professor did not teach us one thing, honestly, he gave us a, a, a curriculum. We, we followed it, and every every week when we got together, one of us presented the topic and and, and ran the Q and A, right? And all he did is moderate the Q and A <laughs> for all practical purposes. And it was one of the most instructive things because, I mean, to your point, you had to you had to read it, you had to articulate, you had to think about it, you had to sort of ask questions efficiently, and by doing that, you really intellectualized the, the topic versus just reading it, and memorizing something, you know, or trying to just pass the test. And it's, it's sort of a, it's an interesting uh, element that you, you bring up. I, I'll, I will, I'll probably talk to you more about that, Adela, for what I do too, because I, I, I like that idea because we always net our businesses in an investor pitch, which is just that. It's, a, it's like 10, 12 slides about everything about how your business makes money. And it does pull it together very nicely and cleanly, but you know, there's a lot of detail that goes on behind it. And that's, I've been focusing more on the detail behind it, um, which I think is important. Um, but Maybe the better way to get it to them is is come back at it from from the other side, the the, the visual that they're going to be presenting at the end, um, and just keep keep working that visual till you get it right over the same time horizon that I work with companies. So interesting. So one of the things I want to do, we've got a couple more minutes here. That IBE, or you know, the Institute for Business and Entrepreneurship at Madison, as I said, it's a it's a wealth of resources, and FFI is one, CTC is another. Um, we have an SBDC office, and then the other. There's two other groups that I'm not as well averse on, averse on, and you probably are, Idella. So I want to let, have you sort of talk to that a little bit. But what I want to do is make sure that you know we're going to probably have another podcast. So this is sort of a teaser for look for another one that'll be more on some of the, the the continuum of care that we can help businesses navigate from light bulb on to building a business to growing a business to reevaluating a business and such. You know, like I said one of the one of the offices that we have at, at IBE is our SBDC office. I didn't know these people existed by the way. So every SBA office, you know, the SBA, you know, federal programs, you know, small business association says you shall have every state shall have an SBA office in their state. And it's run the way the state wants to run it. Ours actually runs through the University of Wisconsin system, and it's under the in the area of IBE. Um, so in our S, that's our SBDC office. So Bon Winkenheiser ma- manages that here, and then we have every campus in the university has got an SBC, SBDC office. Most, they offer most up, campuses, most campuses. Oh yeah, whole campuses, and they offer up free consultants. All right. And what I do with them a lot with with FFI, and I don't know how much you do this with CTC, since I'm working with sort of ongoing businesses, I always advise them, get yourself a free business consultant through right. the SBDC office. Um, they're free, number right. one. They're very good at business planning and the financial elements. They may not know have a lot of work background in food. That's OK. I do. But they do have a lot of other stuff. So they're just a wealth of knowledge. And they've all been trained on FFI you know, concepts mm-hmm. and principles. So that's all good. But like I said, they're a resource that can be with you even after you leave my program. They're there for you. Yeah. Right. And they'll continue to work with you. So I always want to we're going to talk more about that in a future thing. But I want to turn it back to Idella because I also know, you know, like you got your you know, we talked a little bit of SBIR, um, CTC. Um, maybe how you work with uh, SBDC, but then also other business dynamics groups and and, their, and, and the other group in, um, at IBE. So why don't you share a little, shed a little light on that for the audience? Yeah. So, you know, we, as part of an institute, we, we can share resources for our clients and, our, and we can refer our clients pretty easily to other resources that are part of the institute. Yeah, the Small Business Development Center is funded by the Small Business Administration, the federal agency, and they are, you know, most states, I think maybe all states, has some version of an SBDC that's organized in some kind of network that that, that state has chosen how to do. And um, they are in the position to provide really strong technical services on how to do business and business planning and doing it in an industry agnostic way. The way ours is organized is there's 
there's a bit of a regional and a place-based component that's kind of historical, but more in the past few years, they have moved towards a model of um, kind of subject matter expertise. And so um, there are groups uh, because of some recent funding like CARES, they've piloted programs like a digital marketing clinic and a financial clinic and really ways to kind of also integrate students into this kind of um, small business ecosystem. So they are free. There is a queue. So we do have uh, asked people, and this is true for CTC, probably true for all of us. Again, there's only so many of us. So really leveraging the queue process is how oh. we help manage and work with clients. So, you know, you can go and register, go to Wisconsin SBDC, and you can learn a little bit more about um, an SBDC office that's nearest to you. And then from there, you can, they help you navigate to the right kind of consultant. They have been historically regionally focused, but now they've really moved towards subject matter expertise and they are there to help small businesses. So small businesses, by the way, is pretty large. Uh, it, It can be anybody under 500 employees is a small business. So It doesn't have to be just startups uh, as an FYI. You know, they are usually business owners or have been business owners themselves or have very particular expertise and are there to help clients from all all cycles of their business. I know at the SBDC right now, there's a marketing clinic. There has been like a financial clinic. There is a export group, Mm -hmm. the food finance certified consultant. So I don't know what the technical name is there. And so they've really tried to expand, you know, their subject matter expertise to meet the industry areas of the state and also to do so in collaboration with other resources. So like the Wisconsin uh, Manufacturing Extension Partnerships as, as a way to kind of work with manufacturing companies across a variety of sectors, including food and beverage and bio, biomanufacturing. And so we also interact with a lot of the kind of the the professional and industry related groups that exist across the state to help expand um, some uh, technical services. We're all free. And I want to just say, and we have limited resources. So, and I, and I guess the third thing I want to say is that because we are all government funded programs, outcomes, metrics, those kinds of things really matter. And so a lot of what we are trying to do with our clients is to help get them to a good inflection point, because that's how we stay free and provide those resources here in the state and beyond. And so the more a client can do to really hear and to kind of take to matter and to, and to work through the experiments that they need to do on their own, the better your working relationship can be with someone in any one of our programs. Mm-hmm. Um, we would do the same kind of work with the FFI in terms of you have a client, you think they have a particular set of needs that we think we can help with. And we, we go back and forth with the client and can share you know, some digital tools to help keep track of and, and keep a continuity of conversation going with the individual clients. So that's a little bit about how we do things across SBDCs uh, and working with FFI. There are two other programs, or I should probably say now one other program that's part of IBE, and they house some proprietary data and do some analytics. And they are often mostly working with economic developers or other state agencies to help help them showcase some of the unique economic um, capabilities, I guess, of their region, really excellent service for those regional groups if they're going after grants or other sources of funding or they're looking at working with bigger businesses in the area or to track certain resources into the area. A lot of those data are there to help build a case for those kinds of economic development activities. So I think, you know, in terms of the core client serving groups in IBE, it's definitely FFI the SBDC and um, CTC that all kind of have their own flavor of how we help people go after money. And Mm -hmm. so on the CTC side, our flavor is really helping people go after those grants and contracts that help them focus on innovation risk. And so I want to just kind of wrap it up. I know we only have a few more minutes and that is to, to come back to this SBIR example. And that is, I think, For a lot of sectors, uh, sometimes referred to as legacy sectors, of which manufacturing and food and beverage can be um, in that category, adopting technologies is really hard. And sometimes it feels that only those companies that are the big companies can adopt the technologies. But it's interesting because technology is so very accessible right now. 
mm-hmm. and cool technologies, like how to how to better leverage your data in a way that can help your business soar is really kind of a more prevalent type of you know, way of thinking about technology right now. I think that's very accessible. A lot of opportunity for ag-based, food and beverage-based businesses to leverage that kind of technology and to pursue SBIR and STTR funding to be able to do so. And so if there was ever more of a plug, in my opinion, for customer discovery and lean startup, it is the fact that we live in a very competitive global economy where technology is accessible. And the winners are those who are able to leverage the technology, be able to tell a very strong story and be able to get in market in a way that is lean and disciplined. And so therefore, lean startup, I think, is one of your best tools to make that accessible for you as a small business, as a team that might not have an MBA in your background. All you need is curiosity and a willingness to try and solve a problem. And I think with that, you can make a really great go of and get into um, leveraging cool tools like technology as a competitive differentiator. Wow. We've got to get you on the speaking circuit for that. Um, <laughs> that's good. I, I tell you, um, and, and, and being my, my first life in engineering, as, as we've talked, is that in my, in my section, food and beverage People should be looking towards technology. I'll, I'll echo that because, um, like to your point, there are so many more ways to be able to um, access, to develop your business and leverage leverage resources out there. I said, I'll, I'll just go to one area of marketing. When I grew up in marketing, right, it was broadcasting. So you broadcast to mm-hmm. the world and hopefully you got on the right channels so that you'd be maybe narrowing it a little bit, but you're still broadcasting. Nowadays, you know, if you think about technology, it's not necessarily straight up technology plays, being smart about your search engine optimization because you get mm-hmm. to select your consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, marketing used to be broadcasting. Now it's more selecting um, if you do it right. All right. Because now you don't need to, you know, when you I always talk about the billboards at Miller Park or now I'm at American Family, it costs millions of dollars to put them up there. Right. There's 40,000 people in that stadium at any given time. All right. So that's you're getting 40,000 impressions, maybe 10,000 of them may be your target consumer. So the rest of those impressions are sort of wasted, honestly. Number one. Number two, not not necessarily wasted, but they're not getting full value that you don't have a lot of money for. Oh, well, by the way, most people don't have money for that. But this the thing is, think about it. If you can get on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and target those 10,000 people with that same message, you can it'd be, it'd be those same 10,000, let alone. Um, you probably get the rest of the world when you're doing that targeting, right? So being smart with your spend for marketing um, allows you to do some things that big companies traditionally only were able to do. And that's and that is accessible to almost every business out there these days. Now that said, you know, just hearing Idella talk about the the social media marketing training that SBDC offers, that's how we can better collaborate together and make sure that people can get access to to that kind of thinking and then learn how to access it and and leverage it for your business. That's sort of simple, you know, technology transfer, but there's a lot of other, um, you know, the one thing about food and beverage is, is, as I've grown up in it, is it's always been a little later. So you should not assume that the the world has a solution. You know, if you've got a technology solution, don't assume that the the food and beverage industry actually is employing such a solution already. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're slower to adapt. And, and a lion's share of it is because there's a fair amount of capitalization that occurs in buildings, you know, around the world here to make millions and millions and millions of units. Food and beverage is one of, is like the largest sector of, of, of commercial trade out there because there's $850 billion annually in the United States alone for food and beverage and, and agriculture. And every, every person has to hopefully eats three meals a day. You don't buy a car every day. You don't buy computers every day. The reality is it is an extraordinarily large category. In order to make money at it, you have to do things at a mammoth scale. Um, and, you know, when I say a lot of money at it, you have to, there's a lot of scale. So what happens is the large companies don't adapt. They don't change that. Once they're commercialized, they don't change unless it really works. They know it works better. Yeah. It's slow for adaption. But that means that creates a lot of opportunities for innovation. 
Absolutely. And there are more companies looking for small businesses to show them how to or to gobble them up because of their innovation. And so, you know, I just want to encourage anybody to they're thinking about getting into it, if they're thinking about growing it, the winners are not who has the best product. The winners are who is the most curious. Yeah. Who's asked the best questions and who synthesized that into something that works for them. So, you know, the barrier between, you know, you and success oftentimes is, is how curious and how good of a learner were you. And I think that that's a really great playing field because then that means a lot more people can come to this table of entrepreneurship and be a part of of the cool things and and to play off of your own passions and your own Mm -hmm. interests. You just Mm -hmm. have to be curious and you have to be a good learner. Yep. Yep. Well, that's great. Well, thank you, Adele. um, It's been a pleasure um, and look forward to to talking more um, about potential mutual opportunities. And then, like I said, we've got a follow on that I'll tease the audience with that, uh, you know, where we can bring in and have a little discussion about our continuum continuum of care with the SBDC group and and how we can even ladder that up, you know, and and let people know the access points of how to, how to work with all of our services. So anyways, with that, I'll sign off and uh, have a great day. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha and the Food Finance Institute by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.